before I pray, it was brought to my attention a couple of days ago. If you will recall, last Sunday, the Lord's Prayer was prayed during the service. And I was told that a number of kids from the kids of or the friends of Jesus that really excited them because apparently they have been studying or memorizing that prayer. And so it was asked if they would be allowed to uh, lead us or help us to recite the Lord's Prayer all together. And I am always encouraged when our young children get an opportunity to play a part in the Lord's service. And so what I'm going to do, children, I am going to say a short prayer, and then once I am done praying, I'm going to ask that you will lead or close the prayer out with all of us saying the Lord's Prayer together. Amen? So let me first say a short prayer, and then you can jump in and lead us all together. Jesus, thank you so much for our children. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed this church with the children that you have blessed us with. And Lord, as they go to learn more about you, we pray, Father, that you will continue to plant new seeds within their hearts and minds. And we pray that your spirit will water the seeds that have already been planted. Thank you so much for these children. May your blessings be upon them in their time. We ask this in your son's name. Children, you want to lead us in the Lord's Prayer? Ready? Go. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank the children. Thank you all so much, children. Amen. Amen. Well, let me say good morning, church. Y'all can do a little bit better than that. Good morning, church. There we go. There we go. It is good to be with you all this morning, and I hope that you are grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Last week, if you were here, we talked a little bit about uh, loving God as well as loving our neighbor. Both of these are very, very important. These are not options. These are rather mandates. That is what we talked about last week. Uh, for this morning, with the time that we have, uh, I want to talk about a place where sinners are welcomed and transformed. A place where sinners are welcomed and transformed. Amen? If you're able, will you please rise for 
the reading of the Lord's Word. In case you are visiting, I will read uh, this portion of Scripture, and then afterwards I'll pray. And once I am done praying, you can take your seat. Scriptures come from Mark's Gospel, and it is from chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Again, I'll read this, and then after I read it, uh, you can take your seat. The word of the Lord reads as follows. And as he, he being Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you, Lord, so much for this portion of Scripture. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open it up to our hearts and to our minds. Teach us what it is you would have us to know, and may your Spirit help us to do or not do what this passage of Scripture calls for. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask your blessings upon it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. A place where sinners are welcomed and transformed. I want to begin uh, this morning's message with um, an observation that I've had um, during the days of me being a youth minister. And let me just say, I, I try to be careful uh, of giving too many um, personal illustrations, um, but there's also a strategy behind giving personal illustrations as well. I'm the new guy, and again, this is an opportunity for you to kind of get a feel of who is up there preaching. And so from time to time, you will hear me give personal illustrations, and sometimes personal illustrations are the illustration that fits best. <laughs> but I also want to be careful of making these times about me. But that being said, during my youth ministry days, I recall uh, a group of, well, brothers and sisters. This is a particular family that uh, I had grown to love, and uh, they were uh, most of the time a joy to uh, serve and love and, and care for. 
But these, this group of youth, they were at the time, uh, some of the siblings were middle school, the oldest uh, was going into high school or was in high school. And one thing that was very interesting about uh, these siblings was they would always come to church. And when I say church, I'm not saying to Sunday service or just, just to Sunday service or just Wednesday night or Thursday night or whatever youth group night we had. They, when school was out, regardless of whether we had something going on at the church, they would always show up at the church. Sometimes I would find something for them to do. Other times, they just wanted to just come in and sit down. And it took me a while to realize why they would do this. In a nutshell, the church was a refuge for them. School, the school that uh, they went to and that we serviced, uh, didn't have the greatest of reputations. It was a pretty rough and harsh school. The neighborhood that we were in and servicing was a rough neighborhood as well. But as scary as this may sound, their household was probably more toxic than the school and the neighborhood, maybe even combined. And so the church was a place where they felt safe. It was a place where they felt they could come and be cared for, be loved on, and be supported. The church for them was not an option. It was an, and take a different angle. I hope and I would want for faith, and again, this is not to suggest that this has not been the case. I'm still learning some of the history, but just so you know what I will be after, I want faith to be a place, not just for youth, obviously youth, but for sinners in general. I want this to be a place where they feel that they can come no matter how messed up, no matter how they look, no matter what they, and I'm careful to say this because I know there are some legalities, but whatever they've done, Again, there are some legal issues involved, so I'm careful with how I say that. But all that to say, I want this to be a place where sinners can come and be welcomed, be accepted, be embraced, be loved on and cared for, but not just accepted, a place where they can come and experience transformation. These are two sides of the coin. We welcome sinners, but we don't say you just come and continue to do what you do, be how you are, and we will just continue to have you in here. Yes, come. We'll be patient. We'll be kind. We'll identify. We'll love. But we also 
are called to be transformed. That's what I will be promoting heavily amongst the other things that we've already spoken of. If you are okay with that, say amen. amen. If you're not, we'll talk at a later time. <laughs> Let me briefly deal with this text. As we just read, and I would suppose, or I don't want to assume, but for a number of you all, uh, this is probably a familiar text of Scripture. And I won't necessarily go back over all of it, for our application will come specifically from verse 17. But I want you to, uh, as best as you're able, to, to catch the emotions or the feelings of this text. First, from the religious leaders, specifically the scribes of the Pharisees. We're told, according to Mark, that Jesus is going about and he is in the process of recruiting folks to, for one, know him, but then to also engage in the work that he has for them. And what's interesting is he's not going and calling the best of the best, as is evidenced by this text. He is going and he's calling folks uh, for whatever reason he chooses to call them. But if you know his disciples, you will know that uh, these are some interesting characters. The extreme, Judas. But then also here, Levi, the tax collector. And that should stand out to you because tax collectors in this particular day uh, were not thought very well of. They not only collected taxes for uh, the Romans, uh, but they also skimmed from the top. And they would overtax and they would take from people. And so uh, Levi, being Jewish, for you to do this to your own people, he would have been looked at as not just a regular sinner, but he would have been looked at as close to the worst of the worst on some level, traitor. But Jesus is walking, and he's in the process of recruiting, and he tells Levi to come. Come follow me. Leave the tax booth. Let's go, and uh, you'll see some things, perhaps. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus goes into Levi's house. That seems to be the flow of the text. And not only is he in Levi's house, but Levi invites his fellow tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is not just there. The, 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 the scenes, it's almost as if Jesus is comfortable. <laughs> this isn't Jesus sitting amongst sinners and uh, it makes them scratchy and nervous and uncomfortable. I mean, he's in there eating and drinking and reclining. And he's, he seems to be... Uh, at ease. And the scribes of the Pharisees, the emotions or the feelings, they, they seem to be confused. They seem to be perhaps uh, disgusted. They obviously don't like what's happening. So much so that uh, they question the disciples, how is it 
that your leader, how is it that Jesus is sitting with tax collectors and sinners and eating and drinking and interacting with them? And I thought he's a teacher of righteousness. I thought he's a holy man. Why is he interacting in the way that he is with these known sinners? So they, 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 these, these scribes, they're, they're very judgmental. They're confused. They don't understand what's going on. And obviously this would not have been what they would have recommended. But let's think about perhaps how Levi and the tax collectors might have felt. And I'm careful. I don't want to make this dogmatic on some level. This is uh, speculating. But if you, if you try to s- just wrestle with the text, you can almost imagine Levi being surprised, maybe even excited. More than likely, he would have known on some level of the reputation or heard about Jesus and all these people are following Jesus and he signals me, the tax collector, out and says, come, follow me. And, and he, he, he must be so excited or at least uh, honored to the point that he invites Jesus into his house and invites friends to come. And so they're all in here eating. And again, a tax collector, a sinner, someone who is despised by his own people, sitting here with a man who is known or has a reputation of being righteous and going about and doing all of these wonderful and marvelous things. Scribes, uncomfortable, don't like what's happening. Here are the sinners, the tax collectors. What's going on? Jesus, as I've referenced, seems to be somewhat comfortable and at ease. Having said that, I want you to think about a couple of things as it relates to verse number 17. And again, let me read this just one more time. And it says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well, have no need of a physician. For those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The first thing I want you to take into consideration is the dangers of self-righteousness. The danger of thinking we have it all together. The danger of appearing as if we ourselves are not broken, sinless. Now, of course, we should all want to be walking in holiness. We should all be striving to to live out are called to be more like Christ. But be careful of associating true righteousness as a thing that is self-produced. My righteousness 
comes from Christ. Your righteousness comes from Christ. And if we're walking in righteousness, we know that we are doing so because of the Lord. And never let us get to a place where we are thinking that our righteousness comes from within. Amen. And let us also be careful. Let us be careful, even if you are, by God's grace, walking as he would have you to walk. Let us be careful of looking down upon those who may not be where you are. These the, the scribes, and, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm wrestling, and, and there are various opinions. Are, are, are they... Are they really concerned about these people? I mean, sure enough, according to the law, there were parameters for which you were to engage those who weren't walking according to the law. But Jesus, he, he doesn't seem to, he seems to cut straight to it. These folks, these scribes of these Pharisees, by thinking that they had it together, they were going to miss out on something, someone. And that's why Jesus references those who are well have no need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous. So these folks who thinking they had it all together, who were thinking on some level that their righteousness was self-produced, they were placing themselves in a dangerous place. And when others come in, and even some who are currently here, I want us, I want, I, I want for folks when they think about this church, I don't, well, what I don't want is for them to come in and say, I can't go there because they have it all together. And I don't. Something's not right if that's the case. Be careful of self-righteousness. The next thing I want you to consider is the good news for the sinner. The good news for the sinner. And basically, in this verse, verse 17, Jesus' call is tied to the condition of the sinner. In other words... Those who thought they had it together are missing out on Christ on some level. But those who were sinners, those who didn't have it together, those who were deemed as unlikable, unlovable, Jesus is for such a group as that. And this is what needs to be promoted. There are, I have to remind myself all the time, not, well, a lot of times, I have to remind myself, what kind of Jesus am I promoting to those who may be lost or to those who might know Christ but are struggling? Am I, yes, if there's somebody who has it all together, 
It's Jesus. But the irony is that he, as the one who has it all together, comes for those who don't have it together. And when we are interacting with sinners and those who are broken and those who do not have it together, do they see a Jesus that is for them or not? Verse 17 indicates that Jesus' call is tied to the sinner's condition. The last point from this verse is the idea of transformation. What's implied in this, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. And even prior to that, he uses the illustration that those who are well have no need for a physician. In other words, Jesus doesn't just show up to the sick and says, I'm here, I love you. But as we see throughout his earthly ministry, he oftentimes healed the sick. And the implication in this is that as he comes for sinners, he not only welcomes them or enters into their sphere, but he also transforms them. And if I'm to be honest with you, this is something that I, I, I think I've had to ask. Well, I, it's something I wrestle with. Have I made the sinner so comfortable that they feel no need for transformation? That's, as I think about my past ministry, I, I, I think we were known for embracing, I mean, some of the quote-unquote worst of the worst could come, and oftentimes they would feel almost too comfortable. And we hit on that heavy, 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 you're welcome, come. But then I wonder from time to time, as you begin to interact with folks, have I made folks feel too comfortable to the point where there is no transformation? And even if we were, let's think about ourselves for a second. We have to be careful, I said earlier, of uh, self-righteousness. We have to be careful of thinking we have it all together. But the reverse side of the coin, we also, we also have to be in a place where we can recognize how the Lord has transformed us. This doesn't, this doesn't suggest you have to have, oh, I was a murderer, I was all of this and that, and now look at me, I'm a deacon. It doesn't have to be that transformative. Praise God, if it is, amen. <laughs> Praise God. And, and, and I say that as an illustration, but I know someone like that. But we also have to be at a place where we're, we have to be careful of we're so woe is me that we cannot also show the sinner how the Lord has made us to be more and more like Christ. I was talking to a preacher some years back 
an older preacher, more experienced, and he was telling me about a situation where <laughs> he would preach. And this preacher was actually in, in this city. He was known. I mean, he, he hit good. No one would go to his church and leave there feeling like they were self-righteous. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he had a way of letting you know you were a sinner. But he concluded himself. He often talked about his sins and how the Lord came to him in the midst of his darkness and so on and so forth. But he told me, he said, uh, one of the elderly ladies in his church came up to him after a certain amount of time and said, has Jesus ever done anything for you? And, and, and that's a, a convoluted way of saying, we get it. You're a sinner. We know that. But we would also like to hear how the Lord has grown you in your faith. And that is something that was transformative to him. But as he communicated that to me, that was also something that stuck with me. I want the sinners to come. I want us to feel like we can be transparent enough to say we are struggling with certain sins. Like, yes, you have to be wise and judicious about how you communicate things and who you're communicating to, but we should never be at a place where we can't communicate to anyone in the church. But we also have to be a place where the sinner can look and say, I see that example of how God brought that one from darkness to light. I see that example of how God has delivered that person from drugs. I see how the Lord has taken that person and has delivered them from prostitution or whatever it may be. I want faith. As we go into this new season, I want it to be a place to repeat, and I hope you notice the repetition, a place where the sinner can come not feel judged, not feel overly out of place. But I also want this to be a place where they can come in and experience the restoration of their souls, of their minds, of their hearts, of their bodies, whatever it may be that the Lord wishes to offer. This is what Jesus is doing. He called Levi the tax collector, the sinner. And he made Levi a disciple. And we have a letter written from him. So you have the sinner, the tax collector, who was welcomed and embraced and transformed to the point where he's considered an evangelist with a portion of scripture that we can read this very day. May this be the case here at Faith. Father, we bless your most holy name. And Father, we thank you so much for the call of Jesus Christ. Father, even before that, have mercy upon us and forgive us if or when we have played the role of the scribes of the Pharisees. Forgive us, Father, for the times in which we have 
thought that we had it made and, and we came off as way, in ways that, that turned sinners away, perhaps. Forgive us, Lord. At the same time, Lord, we thank you and we praise your name that you sent forth Jesus to come and to heal us, to redeem us, to restore us. And Father, as a church, may we be a place where you will send the lost, where the lost will come in, where they will feel embraced and welcomed, but at the same time, they will also experience transformation. May this be that place. Father, may it not only, may we not only be a place where we're waiting or wanting folks to come in. As Jesus went to Levi's house, may we also go to the places you would call us where the broken may be. Thank you so much, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work upon the cross. Thank you for raising him from the grave so that we can be brought near. And it's in Jesus' name that we thank you and we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're able, I'll invite you to rise for our closing song, O Give Thanks.